that, that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Three Questions. I am your host, Andy Richter, and today I am talking to Isaac Mizrahi. Isaac is a fashion designer, actor, singer, television presenter, writer, and chief designer of the, well, it's fitting, the Isaac Mizrahi brand. He started his own fashion label as a teenager, and he has performed in the Broadway revival of Chicago. He has truly done it all. I talked to Isaac via Zoom from New York. I was in L.A., and we had a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. Here's my conversation with Isaac Mizrahi. But I'm I'm very happy to see you. We met before, ages yes. ago, on the Conan show. That's right. And then also, too, you and I have a connection because you did Celebrity Jeopardy in my <gasps> place years ago. A hundred years ago. Andy, such a hundred years ago. And I did it a few times. You know, I did it a few times. I did it a long time ago with Sandra Bernhard and Melissa Sue Gilbert, and I won. And yeah. it was so fabulous. Yeah, I've won too. It's really fun. <laughs> it's really fun. I did it again. Um, I don't remember. Well, then I did it at Radio City Music Hall when they did wow. this whole Radio City Music So I did it like, and then I did it again for like, you know, the million dollar thing. And I got down to the last, and it was me and Jane Curtin and Michael McKeon. And Michael McKeon just has like a way with the that damn yeah, buzzer, yeah. you know? Yeah, I was, because I was supposed to, it, I can tell you it was 2009. Because mm-hmm. I had won again. I had been on once before. Then this was the second time. And this was like mm-hmm. a tournament of champions. So if you won, you came right. back. But well, when, that's I, what when it was time for me to come back, Conan and I had been the Tonight Show. And then we were no longer the Tonight Show. Right. And we couldn't. Yeah. Con- he was contractually disallowed from being. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, prohibited is better uh, from being on television. So we went on tour and that was when you were succumbing to Michael McKean. I was in Eugene, Oregon doing the, the the (laughs) first night, the premiere, the, the, the soft premiere of our, of our road show. And, uh, and it was, I did it once. And then I did it once again, just recently and I can, and it was it like 10 years. Well, I mean, I said it was 2009 and now, you know, whatever it is, 12, 13 years later. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or is it 14? It's 14 years later. But the other people that I was playing against were probably 15 to 20 years younger than me. Nice. And the, the buzzer, I, right. the, the 12 years ago Darling. when I played, I, I could choose them at will. 
Right. Bam, bam, right. bam. If I wanted to answer the question, I could do it. This time, no. No, it's, no, no, it's, no. It's not and, you know, fun. The, 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 um, the thing is, like, you know 85 to 90% of the answers. Right. And so you think, just get it under the buzzer, and then you'll know the answer. And sometimes you get in, and it's like, oh, wait, I don't know the answer. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. you see that happen all the time, too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Alex. Well, but Trebek, anyway, we, we have Alex that. Trebek. We have such a yes, rich shared history. Such a rich history. <laughs> Where are you coming from today? You're at home? I'm in Long Island, yeah. I'm in Bridgehampton, yeah. Long Island, yes. And that's where you live year-round? I live mostly here, yeah. I, I'm yeah. in the city, of course. I'm a New Yorker, so. I mean, I've lived in New York City since I'm, I'm born in Brooklyn, and I went to high school on 46th Street, you know, at Performing Arts High School, so, on, yeah. you know, between Broadway and 6th Avenue. So. Yeah, the fame school, I start. Can say. I tell you something? I started Performing Arts High School literally the year that they first erected the TKTS thing, you know that TKTS sure. booth on Forty Second Street. It's a booth that you buy last minute yes. Broadway tickets for people. Well, it that was don't a know. booth, and now it's literally like a fucking you know like Taj Mahal booth. It's like such a huge <laughs> booth, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was, and I also know because that. Uh, I had a friend that went to that school, and so oh, yeah. I always, and I was always aware. I also used to eat. There was a really good Dominican restaurant two doors down. Is that, uh, that right? I used to eat it all the time. Well, um, it was a fantastic school, and it was originally made as a sort of like an elementary school for like very little kids, and so yeah. like you have to like bend down to get all the water fountain, you know, the water fountains (laughs) and like, you know, the urinal, they didn't even have urinals. And they had like these really shallow steps. Like there were a thousand steps to walk up one flight. Right. Right. Really shallow for like little feet. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Really funny. I know. Wow. And have you, I mean, did you, have you ever considered living somewhere else? Like, did you ever have a Paris moment or something or Um, is it just? You know, I mean, I used to spend some time in Paris. I never really liked Paris that much. I had to be there a lot, you know. Um, I didn't like it that much. It was a creepy, crazy and very beautiful. And also like, you know what? You've been to Paris 15 or 20 times you kind of did it you know it's mm-hmm. i mean it it's like and it never changes it never <laughs> they don't build things in paris you know it's like yeah, yeah. it's kind of 19th century beautiful 19th century town but it's kind of like a museum in that they just preserve and preserve and preserve and after a while you feel a little insane especially if you're you know if you're from new york and every 5 minutes something is getting torn down and put up you know oh yeah yeah um and the thing is i was talking about this on my podcast a little bit earlier it's not like i i'm not like throwing shade you know remember like um are you obsessed with the Golden Girls? I'm obsessed with the Golden Girls. And there's this I, I episode. have seen, ver- I believe I've seen every episode. <laughs> Me too. Every single episode, at least 25 times. And there's an episode where Rose and Dorothy go to New York and it's Rose's first time in New York. And Dorothy says, oh, what do you think? And she's like, oh, it's, I've had a people live here. Are they crazy? It's so big and so noisy. And there's so much and everything is so exaggerated and I'm exhausted. And, you know, and I'm thinking like, you know, she's not wrong and it's not for everybody, but if you're born there, it's really hard. Like they go, oh, look at that view. And you go, a view of what? We're talking about a view of what? You know, like what view, darling? (laughs) Hills and trees? I mean, no, not even hills and trees. You know, like in LA, there's apparently like this gorgeous view from certain perspectives. And 
I don't know. I don't, you know, or like <laughs> even, even, I don't know, whatever it is, but you, you see what I mean? I'm not like, it's not to throw shade or anything to, to, to LA because I love LA. I really yeah. do. But it's a whole other thing that you get used to the speed and the kind of the yeah. change and the, the season changes and everything changes and it's constantly moving and you go to the theater every night and you hate it. And that becomes like, the best thing in the world to go to the theater and hate it. It's so fun. It becomes the most fun thing in the world. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean because I, you know, I'm from a relatively small town in Illinois and I came to New York to live and do a show. We, uh, a, a group of us that had done a live show in Chicago, took it to New York. And so I got there. I would think I was like, I want to say 23, maybe. And sharing a studio apartment with a friend of mine, sleeping on like, I had to go buy like some, like a futon that my feet hung over about a foot and a half. <laughs> um, and it was very scary to me at first. And I lived in Hell's Kitchen and Hell's Kitchen was still yes. Hell's Kitchen at this point. It hadn't been really gentrified. <laughs> and my mother, when my mother and my aunt came to visit me, my mother, apparently, uh, my aunt told me, cried all the way to the airport. <laughs> because wow, I that was, is so funny. I was in this Aww. terrible place. And then I got used to it. And and I lived there for nine years right. and moved to L.A. And it took me about probably 10 years for L.A. to feel like home. Mm -hmm. Every time I'd fly back to New York, I'd feel, ah, I'm home oh. again. Right. And but I did notice the difference. You step out onto the street in New York and the cortisol levels, like the right. whatever it is in your body that produces stress, it goes yes. up. It and just you, goes up. You either learn to deal with that or you get sickened by it, I think. And the thing is like, you know, when you're from there and you just are ju you pre, you know, you started learning how to do that in utero. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, Like, yeah. I'm serious. And so, for me, it wasn't an issue. And now, and yes, the stress is great. And I tell you what, the other thing, it's, and I think it's closer to Europe in this way, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the kind of the, the, the introspection, you know, the, the loathing, the fear, it's just at a, at a bigger, at a, at a, at a greater pace in New York City. You know, it's like in the three o'clock in the morning is scarier like in your bed in New York City than it is like in New Mexico or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. 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 It's a, it definitely is a challenging place. It's a very, um, but yeah, but like I say, when I go back, it takes me, cause I've gone back, you know, for a week for work things or right. two weeks. Yeah. Within three days, I'm, you're a com you're a I'm back in it, you know. Whereas, can I tell you something? Like, I've had to be in LA for a long, you know, for a month here Stretches, and there, yeah. or two months. Yeah. And, um, and I like it. And by the way, I'm not going to drive myself. I can't, I can drive in Bridgehampton in my little mini, but I, in New York City, I don't drive. I get driven around because I can't. It's just, I'm too frantic and too hysterical. And so, <laughs> you know, but when I'm in LA, you know, after three or four days, I'm like, okay, so where is it? Like, what are we doing? You know, and you end up like not, you do much less in LA. And, you know, I think you do more kind of, I don't know, like moisturizer. You do more moisturizer <laughs> in LA than you do. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, and can I say one thing? Because you said you were from Illinois and you, you yeah. asked the question, you know, I swear to you, like, 
I think one other place I could live besides London is Chicago. Yeah. Because Chicago is such a great city. I just adore it. You know, I, I love it too. I really do. I would move back, but I don't, I, I think I, the only way I could move back there is if I could be somewhere else in the winter. And that's not for me. That's for my wife. Well, you're she crazy. I weather. love winter. I, I can't do too. stand summer. I can't stand <laughs> the heat. I can't stand, like my mother went to Florida all those years before she stopped because yeah. now she's like just too old to go anywhere. But right. she went to Florida for 30 years and I should go like, when are you coming to visit me? And I was like, you know, how does never sound? I just don't like, <laughs> I don't like the heat and humidity. I just don't like it. You yeah, know, it's too hot to out here for me. Suffer too. through yeah. summers in New York City are just, that's just. Whew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you don't get the smell of urine in other hot places like you do. <laughs> well, that, excuse me, have uh, you been to Paris? Have you been to that's London? True. That's I mean, excuse true, that's me. True. Wow, that's those places true. smell terrible. And by the way, you know, when you go to Europe in the summer, they say, oh, yeah, we have air conditioning. And then you go and you're like, what? Uh, 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 and they're like, oh yeah, this is air conditioned. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, no, 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 no. This is not air conditioned. Put me in an air conditioned room. And they go, okay. And then they put you in another room and it's just as bad, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. 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 Well, they're used to being sweaty. I um, guess they are. <laughs> <laughs> you you said it earlier. Uh, you were raised in Brooklyn. You were born yes, there. I was born um, there. And uh, your, fa- your father was in the Schmata trade. He was He was uh, in the children's Schmata trade. He was the a children's little boy. Trade. He made little boys coats and suits. And how did uh, oh had he always been like had his family been in in the garment industry and then, you know. You know, I think so. I have to tell you like um I come from a very very straight line of Sephardic Jews that came here from Syria. I would say like at the start of the 20th century. But mm-hmm. before that, it's all these Sephardic Jewish people in Aleppo, you know, Aleppo, Syria. Sure. Yeah, yeah. For centuries, generations. And so it's, I don't, no one in my family ever really bothered to do the kind of Louis Gates thing where you do like, oh, you know, your grandfather was this and did you know, blah, 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 because. You know, it was it was all just boring. You know, your grandfather was another person called Isaac Mizrahi. And, you know, he was in the Shmata business. And yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's all the same story. And, you know, apparently, um my grandfather was a cutter. He cut things, you know, cut clothes. Sure. Yeah. And that's what I knew about him. Um, we don't know a lot about our ancestors, us Mizrahis. You know, we mm-hmm. just don't. Yeah. Do you have do you have an idea as why that is? Um, no, no, I don't. La- how does yeah. laziness, like laziness on the part of my ancestors, like no one bothered to right. accumulate any kind of information or put it down or, or maybe they went it may, down. Maybe it's just generation upon generation of self-involved people. They don't have time <laughs> to worry, maybe, worry about those you know, that went before. Or, or such kind of like, you know, peasant deep stock that it didn't occur to them to, yes. you know, to like care about such things they were too busy you know putting dinner on the table or something to to think about what was coming or what their ancestors would want from them yeah i uh yeah i I, i've said before i said i i feel like i just come from a long line of apron wearers like some kind butchers bakers you know i just that's what i just feel like there wasn't I just don't see there being a lot of royalty in my background, and uh, right, you know, right, and I'm and right. and my brother is 
kind of into all that stuff, but I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I like to know, you know, the, the geographic of where you're from is kind of interesting to me, but it's in the exact same way that like what breed my mixed breed dog is. It's just yeah. a curiosity, yeah. you know, it's not a big but, deal. You know, but it does matter because, you know, being from, I guess, coming from, you know, this part of the world, coming from, uh, you know, that part of Syria, it does kind of, it does kind of shape the way I see the world, you know, yeah. um, in the same way that, you know, it's like, I have, I always have a, like, I, you know, since I started adopting dogs, there's always like a collie mix in my life. Mm-hmm. I like collies, you know, I have a girl now called Kitty and she's like black and white. And, you know, if you get up off the sofa, she tries to herd you back on this, you know, she doesn't yeah. like it. She likes to like, that's in her DNA and she doesn't know why. Right. Right. Um, and so in my DNA, you know, I'm not exactly sure how I got to dislike hot weather because where I'm from is a very warm climate, you know? Yeah. So I, I feel like I, I came from some other gene pool that somebody doesn't know about, you know, <laughs> because my people, I'm serious. Like if you met my sisters, you just wouldn't believe we were from the same parents. They are How such come? incredibly good people. They are just so simple, such simple, good people that have, you know, such values, like just kind of like traditional values where I am just this complete, I don't know what, like evil, evil, evil person, you know, it's like transgressive evil person. Maybe a little bitchy, but I mean, being a little bitchy is being alive, you know? I mean, it's, you know, it's like when you're saying you don't, you don't want to speak badly about LA and that's, uh, you know, I like living here, but there are things and I've dealt with this my whole life. There are just things that are not for me. And, and I'm bitchy too. And if you want to know why they're not for me, I can tell you for 10 fucking minutes in a granular, in granular detail, why I don't like something. Mm -hmm. So I just keep that to myself now, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, most of the time I, I, and, and I don't think there's, you know, being critical isn't, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's being a lot. But I mean, you're assuming that I mean that I'm critical and evil because I'm critical. No, darling. I mean, you know, I. You're mean? Just. I can be very mean. I can be very, I don't know what, like judgmental. I can be, you know, I had a period in my life where I just slept with everybody. I I mean, like, you know, like I'm serious. I had a big old life where I did stuff, you know? I mean, I never broke the law and I've never been cruel, but I have, you know, I've come, come across, I've come, I've come across a long way. Whereas my sisters are the most sheltered, like, you know, sort of, well, also Hasidic Jewish, they're you know really, I, mean? I so was going to ask, yeah. are they religious? They're very, very religious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that a problem in your family that you weren't? Yeah. Or that you aren't? Yes, it, well, I mean, you know, the thing is my parents, it's funny because Sephardic Jews are different than Ashkenazic Jews yeah. in that the laws that they, um, the, 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 the traditions that they keep are slightly different. It looks a little bit different than the Hasidic Jews that we know with the side curls and the hats and all those beautiful, beautiful people. But like our Sephardic Jews, our our Hasidic Jews look different. Like I'm not sure they have the side curls. I think some of them do, but that's a whole new kind of thing. When I was growing up, it was quite anomalous. And, and, you know, we were not exactly Hasidic Jews. We were not Hasidic Jews. We were not 
in the house, not at all. But the school I went to was extremely, extremely orthodox, right? Yeshiva yeah. Flatbush. And so that's where we learned. And my sisters have since become extremely, extremely religious, mm. um, you know, to the point where I think some of their kids wear wigs. I mean, it's really something, you know. And your sisters wear wigs then, I would imagine. No, too, no, no. That, that, but they, but they're just bordering on that, you know, I and see. they, yeah. And, um, and, I forgot what the question was, but I'm sort of in a jag talking about like- Oh, oh, it was just- Oh, we, the problems. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the problems, which, you know, and I, and I keep wondering how I knew that I was right through the whole thing. You know, they were telling me that homosexuality, no, you know, you can't be a homosexual. I mean, that was part of, like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. There was a story in the Bible about like homosexuals being stoned and it was like yeah. you know, a terrifying day in that class that day. And of course I kept it to myself until I couldn't any longer. You know, I always knew I was gay. That was always a problem because I was, I felt like a real outsider. You know, I did not feel like I belonged in that family because of that. And also, you know, being an artist, you know, in, 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 in certain very religious Hebrew teachings, Art is a graven image. It's a, it's oh, it's an right. idol. Your iconography that is iconography yeah. that is yeah, not. Yeah. They don't. They don't. They really don't frown. They frown on it. And and then there were other people telling me, "Oh, darling, you're gifted." You know, I was I I, I had a therapist when I was in first grade. They wouldn't let me back into school unless I went because I was crazy. You know, I was a crazy kid. I was like, you know, doing sketches on the margins of the Bible and you know, sort of imitate. I was doing female impersonations of like Dion Warwick. <laughs> Which, let me tell you, Andy Richter, was not a source of pride for the Mizrahi family in 1970, you know? Yeah, um, but she yeah. was really she was really in her prime there. The cigarettes huh? hadn't gotten to her voice yet. I'm serious. No, I mean, really. So, you know, the point is that um, that that was always like a little bit of an issue or a lot of an issue. And it made me feel like I was the worst person in the world, you yeah. know, compared to them because they got great marks. They were always on time for shul. They were, you know, it's like these were people that my sister Marilyn was the valedictorian of Yeshiva Flapish, which is, let me tell you, that is, you have to be really smart to be the valedictorian of Yeshiva Flatbush. Talking about a lot of smart people in that school, yeah. you know, yeah. And also scholars, like really an emphasis yes. on scholarliness too. Oh, you know? darling. You know, they all sit around in rooms and that's all they do is, is like read. ask questions. It is very, very beautiful. You know, yeah. it is a very, very beautiful life. And I don't, it's just not for me and it never was. And, you know, here and there, like you get a little bit sort of, I don't know, like, you know, my husband, they love my husband, but they they don't really relate to him in the way that, you know what I mean? They see us as like these three-headed monsters or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. 
Go try it for yourself to hear the best nut sound you've ever heard. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a crow? You're their, you're their weird... Weird, weird, exactly. spicy relatives that you know, exactly, exactly, that are fun and also and famous, different. which is like, oh, you know, that doesn't help. Oh, they don't like that. Famous. No, they like it. They like it, and they like they, they're oh, freaked out by it. They like revere it, you know, in this crazy. Yeah, yeah, way. and that doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't feel good. I had it, my it, it cracks the intimacy. She passed now, but my aunt one time asked. It was very shortly after I got on television. She asked me for my autograph. <gasps> no. And I, ref- I refused. I said no. Of course no. you did. Andy. I said I'm, you're my aunt. You that don't makes my heart just break. I know. Half. It was just, uh, and she was really like, she was kind of hurt by it. And but I didn't fold because I was like, no, I can't. You know, no, darling. There's I don't a give principle you here. You know, exactly. There's this all because especially when you're inside of fame, you know, even to, to any varying degree. You do realize it's all bullshit. I mean, if you're, if you're not in, if you're not insane or you're not, you know, in possession of a very weak character, you realize <laughs> it's all nonsense, <laughs> right. you know? And you know, I got to tell you, like, it's nonsense. And yet there are precautions. There are things you have to understand about going through the world in this way. You know yes. that when you go through an airport, you can't look up. You have to wear it, you know, like I'm serious. You, you know, and I remember this. I, I used to like when Meryl Streep used to fly commercial. Okay. I don't know how long ago this was. 30 years ago. You know, I've known her for a really long time. She's a doll. Do you know Meryl Streep? I, I love don't, her so but much. It, my friend, do you know the writer David Rakoff? Did you ever meet oh, him? Oh, I love David Rakoff. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, he was a friend David of mine and Rakoff. he did a whole story with her and just could not stop raving about her. Well, we used to know each other a little and she lived on my block and she's hilarious. She's one of the funniest people. And I remember once or twice, I promise, like not just once, it maybe was twice that I was on the same flight to LA with her, you know, in first class. Remember the giant planes they used to fly? Sure, It was so chic and so fabulous. And she was just there in first class and we would chat and chat and chat. And then she was gone. She would, she'd disappear. And I'm standing (laughs) waiting to get off the plane. And somehow Meryl Streep is no longer in the building. Yeah. And somebody came and got her and whisked her off. And there I am sort of, you know, struggling behind, you know, sort of like E, you know, whatever is TMZ is sort of asking me questions about how I feel about something, you know, whatever it is. Right. Or, you know, it's a little, it's a little bit disconcerting. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not. So I'm not Meryl Streep. I'm not as famous as that, but you know, it doesn't matter. Like it's random. It's random. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah. It's, it is. It's a weird thing. Uh, and it, and it's, it's hard to explain to people that it's a mixed bag. I mean, they sort of mm-hmm. can grasp the idea of it, but then they don't really fully understand, you know, like, right. like be like the, and I mean, and I'm not in this cat in this category, really. But you know, I but there are people that I know and people who are friends of mine that can't go to the grocery store. 
Uh, right. Because exactly. that means they'll have at least 10 or 15 minutes of, of the same conversation with people, which is a lovely conversation. And it's all based in in fandom and, and enjoyment and people being <laughs> excited of seeing this minute. person. I have a really good story for you, okay? All this right, is tell me. really a good story. And this is a lesson for us all, okay? And I mean this in the highest form of respect. I was at an event with the fabulous Iman. You know Iman, yes. right? Yes, yes. And I was separate. We were separated for a minute. We did the red carpet. And then someone said to me, oh, can I take a picture with you? And I said, you know what? I would love to, but I feel really weird. If I do this with you, then I have to do it with 100. I hope you understand. You're so nice. I love you, blah, 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 blah. And I finished. And like that was it. And they're looking at me like, really? Right? And then I was with him, standing with Iman, and someone said, oh, can I do a selfie? And she goes, no. And I thought, you see, you just say no. Yeah, no, yeah. one syllable it takes, you know, and she knows that it's like less kind of perverted, less sort of egomaniacal, less yeah. manipulative to just tell no, you yeah. know, as opposed to, I love you, but I really can't. And then if I do it with you, I'll be here for 10 minutes. You know, it's like my man, my manager was once at a Las Vegas prize fight, a big boxing match. Standing, talking to Larry David. And, you know, and the place is star-studded because it was some big boxing match. Right. And people kept coming up to Larry and saying, can I get a selfie? Can I get an autograph? Can I? <sighs> and he said, yeah, yeah. And then one person came up and said, could I get a picture with you? And Larry went, you know what? It's enough. It's enough. <laughs> right. You like, just, just get pushed. Exactly. Yeah, oh, this God. guy didn't know. You're like, it's just right. like, sorry, you just, oh, you, you're his quota. You got to end exactly. up. Exactly. Oh, that is Funny. One thing that occurred to me, and uh, and I, because this is something I've thought about uh, a lot, uh, is people, achievers, which you are definitely an achiever. I mean, good gosh, you you know, you're in everything. Heavens, um, was that? Do you think that the that the repression that you felt? the otherness that you felt from the people that were supposed to be raising you. Is that a component? Like, is that an engine in that? I'm going to show you people. Absolutely. He's, he's nodding. Absolutely. Yes. I think the answer to that question is a unqualified, like it's a qualified. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, yes. Um, and, um, and I, and I was talking about this also a little bit earlier today, which is, I think, Fear and loathing is also an engine. You know, you wake yeah. up every day so afraid of everything. I don't know about you, but I wake up every day like I am so scared of like getting at just getting out of bed. <laughs> Such an effort. <laughs> and I feel like that is also a motivation. And I don't think it's I, I don't know just I don't I I I mean, I know that there are different ways of raising people today, different, more gentle ways of sort of like kind of coaxing them into the person they're going to be, right? And it's much gentler and it's much better. And I think probably there is progress in that, but I don't know how you how you get all how you clean a person of of fear loathing. And repression. I don't know how. I don't think it's possible. I don't. I don't know that there is a parent alive who can actually sort of raise a person properly with and sort of shield them from this from themselves. You know, I, yeah. I don't see how that's possible. You know. Well, 
I have a. Are you a father? Do you have? I kids? am. I'm a father three times over. Well, I what were you tw- thinking? One, but yeah, go on. <laughs> I have a. <laughs> I have a 22 year old son, uh, and a, an 18 year old daughter, and I am uh, remarried, and I have a three and a half year old. So mm-hmm. there's a big there's a big span there, um, but I'm I very much like being a father, and I will tell you that now having adult children who are mm-hmm. they're still they're still children i mean they're not you yeah. know when you, you you don't know what you're doing until you're 27 you know you're still you know what i mean you're still kind of living yes. with your kid brain mm-hmm. and it is absolute it is just like letting them out the back door and saying good luck no matter yeah. what you've done right. it is absolutely terrifying you know there used to be a fear when my kids first started going out on their own, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and I would think what's going to happen to them. And, you know, and you, there's all these horrible scenarios, mm-hmm. you know, gruesome scenarios that play out in your head. That is nothing compared to, oh shit, they're just going to go out there and start paying rent and getting jobs and Ugh, falling in I love know. and, you know, and then, and, or maybe not doing any of those things, you know, that's like, the horrible part. That's yeah. the horrible part. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's like, okay, well, God forbid drugs and God forbid, whatever it is like that. Yeah. You really don't want to see, but that's the, that's the extra shit. That's the, that's the extra bad stuff. You know, the yeah. real bad stuff is what you're talking about, you know, like facing life, I think, right. Yeah. Facing life and figuring out how to be a good person. You know, um, the more per- people I talk to and th- the older I get, I think I'm slightly older than you. I don't know. How old are you? Do you mind? You are. You're uh, five years older than me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's not say. But we as, won't I, say. as I get older, like, I feel like my end, my end, end, end kind of desire in life is to just be a good person. You know, like, and, 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 and you know, like, forget about accomplishing and forget about money and forget about position and forget about what my obit says in the end. I think like to just be a good person. And that means like trying to do as many good things as you can. It's a simple, as as, it's as simple as that. And trying not to hate yourself if you don't have 3 million Instagram followers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, you can't, I don't, I don't have ice water in my veins. I have blood in my veins, darling. You know, it's hard for me to like, you know, sort of do what I think I'm supposed to do sometimes, right? Because I'm human and I err, you know? Yeah. So this is becoming very religious. Are you religious? I am not religious. Me either. I'm not, I don't I'm not religious, I mean, I but I, I am uh, I have been to lots and lots of therapy and I believe that therapy Me takes too. the place of religion in my life because it, it does all the things that religion does for other yeah. people, which is make yes. me feel hopeful and make me feel there's a sense of progress yeah. and that I'm here for a reason. I don't, I don't think anything's going to happen after I go into the ground or, you know, get cremated and dumped into the ocean or kept in a box somewhere. But I do definitely think that what just the work of doing uh, the work of therapy, the work of making yourself better, of making yourself happier, of making others around you happier, um, is is that's I mean, I don't even believe in God, but like that's God's work. That's God's work, you know, exactly. being kind to you. people and and yeah. making 
making progress in your life where you're not smacking your face into the same brick wall over and over and over and going like, yeah. oh, maybe, maybe I should go through mm-hmm. that doorway instead. You know, <laughs> those are, those yeah, are, yeah, that would work. Yeah. That's, that's to me, that's, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I hold on to those things and you, you know, and it's constant learning too. It's like, like with, <laughs> I'm going through it with the, with, like I said, my adult kids, I, there's part, I'm finding out ways like, cause I was cocky. I thought, man, I'm a good dad. And now that they're adults and they're going off and I feel like, oh, maybe I'm not. Uh, maybe I, maybe there I were some lessons mistake. I should have right. taught him. And no, oh, well, it's too bad. The cake is baked. But, you know, to go back to your original theory or your original question about, you know, having a little repression in your life. Like, do you think that kind of makes you into something not always terrible, you know, the answer right. I would say is yes, you know, it's like to be raised in a very, very religious household when you're going to yourself, well, I mean, how can I believe in this stuff yeah. if everything they say is what I'm not and everything I am is what they say they shouldn't, you know what I mean? It's like you're gay and you're an artist and you're like, you know, whatever it is, all the things you like are not permitted by law of the religion. Yeah. And, you know, I have to tell you as a, as a, as a gay person who dates other gay people, you know, and sometimes, like, I remember I had a boyfriend in Chicago who was very religious, and I would say to him, like, darling, how is this possible that you can accept a religion that doesn't accept you? And he's like, well, the people that I, they do accept me in my particular, right? And I'm like, but in the actual DNA of the makeup of that religion. In the instruction book. In the instruction book, it says, don't. It says you're supposed to take a stone and throw it at your head. You know yeah. what I mean? So like, yeah. But he likes it and it's what makes him feel good about his life. And, you know, obviously we broke up. But. <laughs> <laughs> He's still in Chicago. Yeah. Um, it's too, yeah, it gets too cold there to not have some kind of faith in some I other. I suppose so. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. Can't you tell my love's a girl? Well, well, you started, you had your own label at 15. I mean, so it didn't I take did. you You're long. Right. It wow. didn't How take did you, you long to pop out of of you know the shackles and say look i'm gonna you know fuck you people i'm I'm getting out into the world it's so funny you know um because you know i i keep forgetting that that was true that i did i had this collection at 15 years old with my friend sarah it was called is new york is new york because i was isaac and she was sarah and i you know, designed the clothes and I made the clothes and she sold the clothes and she marketed the clothes and whatever it was. And we had- Was she 15? No, she was like 30. Oh, wow. I know, I know, I know. And um, 
And I loved her. She was a great, great, great friend. And she eventually become my, she became my first like real business partner. You know, she was the first person mm-hmm. who I actually had a business with. But, you know, um, and I may have mentioned this, like the reason I went so heavily into fashion was because I needed to get out of that house, you know, yeah. and I love the, I love my family. Well, love with air quotes. Actually, Conan said maybe the funniest thing anyone ever said to me in my life. He was on my show a thousand years ago on the Oxygen Network. Yeah. And we were in the backseat of a car and he said, oh, you know, my mother always said when she said she loved me, she said, I love you with air quotes like that. I love you, Conan. I still laugh when I think of that. that is maybe the funniest thing anyone <laughs> has ever said. So, you know, I love my family. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I had to get out of there. And I thought yeah. smartly that it would be easier, especially in New York, which I couldn't consider leaving, right. it would be easier for me to make some money to get out of there in the fashion business, you know, get in a job as an assistant. And I was right. But, you know, what I was born to do was show business. I mean, I went to performing arts high school. I went to class every day. I took dance classes and sword fighting classes, and I learned to memorize Shakespeare. I mean, I did all that, you know, and I learned how to tell jokes, and I learned how to dance, and I learned how to sing. And, you know, that's what I want to do. And now that I'm however old I am, I am (laughs) on that path. That's what I am doing mostly in my life. And it's crazy. I have to tell you, it's like, you know, other people who I know like, this is so exciting for me. It's like I'm 20 again or something, you know? It's a crazy yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean well, that. I was, I, you know, because I got some research uh, for you, you know, the, there's a very, there's a top-notch operation here. and uh, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but the one, that, the one that jumped out at me, and it's the only mention of it in all of this information you know, it says Band-Aid released a series of bandages with Isaac <laughs> Mizrahi theme. There's like that kind of stuff. And then yeah. there's at the very bottom, performing live shows with his band in Skokie, Illinois. <laughs> I know, exactly. In two <laughs> weeks. That's happening in two weeks. I'm really excited. Yeah. Oh, Skokie that's actually my Grace birthday. Lake, darling. That's my birthday. So, you know. Is it? Are you a Scorpio or are Scorpio. you uh, yeah, Scorpio? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I'm yeah. a Libra. My birthday is in like, you know, uh, the end of the week. But um, uh-huh. I will, darling. And, and by the way, it's not just Skokie. It's also Grace Lake. Oh, Grace Lake, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, right. The next night. Yes. Well, now tell me about that band. When did that, I mean. Oh, my God. Well, you know, I mean, I start like, you know, performing arts high school, we, everybody like was always kind of on. We were always yes. on. And occasionally we were on in front of people in clubs. Yes. You know, I mean, I can, we were like. Really, I, can, I can say that that, that the notion of a performing arts school to me seems so exhausting. <laughs> Oh, it it's was exhausting. Like, it was oh so my exhausting. God. Unless you're 15 or whatever. Look at yeah. me, kids. Yeah. Unless you're 15 and then you can't do it enough and you can't get enough. But anyway, yeah, yeah. so I was always doing clubs and I was always kind of like doing stuff and songs and performing with people in clubs. And then I started making clothes and a lot of that stuff. And I remember like right away, like with the in the first year, right after my first show, there was this director who had like a little theater group. And he said, oh, you know, you'd be perfect. We're doing an all male version of the women. And we want you to be the Countess de Love, which is the best part in the world. That's l'amour, l'amour, toujours l'amour. You know, it's the fabulous yeah. part, right? And um, and I was made to play that. And I remember like having to turn that down and thinking like, shit, you know, like, and by the way, a dollar they're paying you to do that. Yeah. You know? Whereas course. like you're making some money. 
Um, so, so it was a real tragedy for me that part of it and, you know, and then like, I, I slowly but surely kind of got back into it. I'm not kidding you. Like Liza Minnelli was a really good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. I made clothes for her. I made her some clothes. We got friendly and, you know, I would go with her to clubs and she would do a number. Like, I'm not kidding. They'd be like, oh, Liza Minnelli. She's like, oh, no, no, I couldn't. I couldn't. G flat, you know, whatever. And like, you know, she would do a number. Right. And it was like, Mm, right? Like she's doing it. Like I got to do this. So I started doing it a little bit. Right. And yeah. then I had, and then I closed my couturier in 1998. What does that mean? Started doing it a little bit, just like sitting oh, at piano you know, bars. I would go saying, to 88s. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a bar in the village called 88s. Right. And yep. sometimes it was with Liza. Liza would be singing and I'll sing with Liza a little bit, you know, because when right. Liza's in the room, darling, nobody's looking at anybody else. Right. Yeah. And, um, Anyway, the point is that somehow I would find my way back to that room and I would do something, right? A number. And then I met, and then in like like 19, let's see, when did I meet? Well, I was working with this fellow called Peter Jones a long, long, long time ago, who's such a darling. He's really better at writing music than he is at accompaniment, right? Right. He was supposed to be my accompanist, right? And, you know, we just, we like each other a lot and he's a great writer. Then I met Ben Waltzer, right? This incredible jazz musician. And it was just, it was a better fit in terms of like, and we just have this, you know, we had a three-piece band and I had this show off-Broadway from about, we started working on that in like 1998 and I was finished by 2001. So Mm. I think maybe we had a year of shows in this little theater called, at the time it was called the Granite House and now it's called the Barrow Street Theater, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I, you know, did my one man show for like a year. And then I started working at Joe's Pub with my band. And then I started working at the Carlisle with my band about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And now it's a six piece band. And now we tour and I have like a manager and he like sets up gigs for me and it's really great. And that's we, wonderful. We do really well. They're small venues. It's like either yeah. a club or a small kind of concert hall, like, you know, 500 seats, 700 seats, something. Like is it that. songs and stories or is it most? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's songs and stories. Mm-hmm. Lovely. That's wonderful. It is. I mean, I'm telling what's you, you. What's your big, what's your big closer? Uh, well, you know, I do I do two things. Every single show I do, I do this, I do that number called You're the Top, that um, Cole Porter t- tune, mm-hmm. but I re-lyricize it. You know, it's like a really funny kind of contemporary version of You're the Top. And yeah. that just, that is always gets them crazy because it's a <laughs> lot of words and it's very funny. And then the other thing, I mean, I do a really good um, version of borderline you know the madonna song borderline Mm -hmm. and i do i also do a really good version of that um uh oh billy eilish tune called everything i wanted that always gets them also billy eilish is a genius she's fantastic and you know my band has a kind of like a jazz kind of a slant to it so Mm -hmm. it's always a little jazzy and it's really good you know your fashion career you know you 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 had your own line, and then you don't have your own line, then you do have your own line. Do those kind of ups and downs, does your versatility kind of help, you know, yeah. buoy you in those turbulent times when, you know, disappointment crashes in? I mean, I will say that, like, I never thought of those times as 
crashing kind of failure moments. I thought like, oh, God, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. I mean oh, it. Really? You know, so I was so yeah. relieved and so happy. I remember being so happy and people did not. And one psychic, I go to psychics a lot. Not only do I go to therapists, I go to psychics. And, <laughs> and, and this one psychic said to me, darling, how will you deal with this kind of public humiliation? And I was like, oh, have I just been humiliated publicly? Oh, good to know. Thank you. And then I sort of said, okay, darling, you were publicly humiliated. But for months, I was just so happy and everybody didn't understand. And they were like, oh, darling, are you okay? And I was like, I've never been better. I have been so, I'm sleeping like a baby and I'm so happy and I can't wait. I have this deal and that deal and I'm going to have a talk show and I'm going to have a one-man show. You know, all this stuff was so much more kind of natural for me, you know? Right. And yeah. more fun, I bet. And more fun. And then you, by the way, then you reinvent yourself, you know, like then I went on to do that line for Target and at the moment I'm doing a line for QVC and it's all great, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, I feel like it's where it should be, you know, yeah. it's where it should be in my life. Yeah. One of the things that I, I saw in, in the research was that you were a costume designer for three Broadway revivals and a Met That's Opera right. production. And right. oh boy, that sounds, I mean. I'm not a clothing designer, but boy, I bet that would be fun, you know? Oh my God, so much fun. And I got to tell you, like, usually it's, I work with great people that I adore. I'm so lucky to work with people that I adore, you know? And And by the way, what's great about it is I don't have to take every job that I'm offered. I only take the jobs that I need to in the fact, and that, in the capacity of, of a, of a, um, of a costume designer, because really, it can be, you know, if it's like a sweatshirt and a pair of jeans, you want to kill yourself. You're yeah. sitting there like, ah, oh, could some, could could we get the lighting person because the sweatshirt I have to redye it because it's it's such a bore, you know. Yeah, yeah. But when you're doing like some 18th century kind of fantasy about, you know, amphibians, like we had this, I did this opera at Covent Garden. I don't know how many years ago that was about a frog queen, right? Mm-hmm. It was a Baroque opera about a frog queen. And it was maybe the funniest, greatest job I ever had in my life, you know? And also to be working at Covent Garden and all those shops, the wig makers and the shops, they were just, it was so fascinating, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. That's, and like, to me, like the microphones are in the wigs. Like that's just, Uh I I love that Well, I remember there was one tenor that had to make a very fast change, right? Yeah. And, and they were making his costumes. He had to he had to go from like being this kind of bum character in a bar to being, you know, uh, 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 Jupiter, right? He was mm-hmm. the god Jupiter. And I thought of him as, I designed him as this kind of like, you know, this silent movie sort of like he played a ukulele and he had, he was sort of like based on, I don't know, um, Rudy Valley or something. Sure. Right? And he had a wig change and a thing and a thing. And I said, well, how about a zipper in the fly instead of buttons? And the guy looked at me, you know, England, they he was like, darling, we'll change this. He will change. Don't you worry. It would take him longer to zipper his to zipper to zipper a zipper than it would for him to, 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 to just do up the buttons. Yeah. Wow. The fly buttons. Yeah. It was really funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My wife and I uh we went to Europe this summer and uh we were in Zurich and we got last minute tickets to it's is it Turando? Turando, yeah, turned off. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and there, there was a production, very well-received production. I, like, Googled it and read about because mm-hmm. we just showed up in Zurich and, like, hey, let's go to the opera. 
but it was modernized costumes, you know, and it's all supposed oh, to be Imperial oh, China. Oh, oh, and right, I was all right, excited, right. you know, and then it's oh, like, sorry. oh, it's like Mao outfits. You know, it was like Maoist <laughs> kind of well, outfits. Well, you know, I'll tell you something, darling. A lot of people go to the opera just to hear the singing. Okay. I'm yes, afraid. To, I'm I know, sorry to break that to you. I know, either. but come on. But that, yeah, I know. I know. Sometimes you want the lavish thing, you know, yeah. the, the Turandot at the Met. I still think they have that beautiful... Franco Zeffirelli production. So if you're looking for a massive lush production, but check it before because everything changes. I okay. think they still <laughs> have that, that Zeffirelli production at the Met. Well, um, we're getting near the end here. This has been a lovely talk that has just sped by. I want to get through these things that you okay. and Selma Blair have launched an accessible, <sighs> inclusive fashion line with QVC called That's Isaac right. Mizrahi Live. With Selma Blair. That's right. And uh, and that sounds, that's pretty cool. What, it, what does that mean when you say accessible cool. and inclusive? Well, it just means, you know, that it is a, it's a larger community of people that can now, like, you know, people that have disabilities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people that are in wheelchairs for any number of reasons, or, you know, they have difficult time getting dressed because they have to bend down and these pants have straps that they can pull up very easily or magnetic snaps because the dexterity of their sure. of, of our fingers have somehow you know right and so those little tiny things like you know some things have you know zippers on the side so they can put ports in for people who are at chemotherapy you know just wow. all kinds of considerations like that and you know Selma herself is just one of the great american heroes to me, yeah. you know, because she does suffer from MS and it, it does kind of, yeah. You know, and she did not it, go away. She said, no, she did like, not go away. Look at me. This is what's real. That's right. And what's great about her is there's still a kind of vanity about her. She wants to look chic. She wants to look good. So this is our answer to that. You know, people who go, wait a minute, first it has to be very cute. And then it would be great if it had a pocket on the side yeah. that I could put my phone in so that I didn't have to reach to the back and, you know, a million different little Sure, things. sure. Yeah. It's got to be, I mean, it, there's so many different things to accommodate that it's, you know, there's, yes. you know, it's probably difficult, yes. you know? Yes, yes. It's difficult. And yet it's such a pleasure for me because I, you know, I don't have a ton of money. I don't, you know, and it's like, I want to help as much as I can, you know? And so like, it starts with the opportunity. If I did not have a friend called Selma Blair and she did not say, oh, you know, it's so hard to get dressed for God's sake, you know, like that was the beginning of something. And so I was able to do that, you know? And problem solving is so much fun. Oh, it really is. Yeah. It really is. And I'm sure that it's profoundly meaningful for people, for Christ's sake. I mean, 100%. come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope it is. You know, I hope it is. I should think. I bet you're going to. How long has it been out? Oh, just a week. And oh, well, then really, hell. Really yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to have so many wonderful experiences with people, people telling you how meaningful that this is. I can only oh, imagine, you know. Right. Well, I you're hope. also in this podcast business. I am. Hello, Hello Isaac. Isaac. How, how yeah. long have you been doing that? Um, you know, I started, I'm only about 25 interviews in. So what yeah. does that make me? A real novice. And, um, and you know, I agreed to do it. And then I started doing it. And I was like, Jesus, this is hard. And, you know, I used to have a talk show. So I kind of understand right. how you have to structure something to talk to somebody. And it's not a, it's not a little work. Like no. it requires a good deal of focus. And um, 
And the thing is that I thought, oh my God. And then we started doing it. And I was like, what have I done? But then I got into it, you know, and then it was really successful. Like the first week it was, you know, number six overall or something. I was oh, very, wow. very, very proud of that. And so that gave it a kind of a kick, you know? Yeah. I'm so shallow, darling. I'm so shallow. <laughs> I like recognition. I do like a little recognition. Yeah. And then uh, let's see here. I mean, and then there's your band. You're going to be That's in right. Skokie on October 28th in Grays Lake, right. Illinois on October 29th. And then and after that, I'm going to be in December. I have a date somewhere. Stony Brook, in New Stony York, Brook. December 1st. Yeah, exactly. I have that right, right here. So check out, go see Isaac play with his band. Um, do you, are there things ahead of you that you, like things left undone or are you just oh still? Oh my God. Hundreds of things left undone. Yeah. You know, I wrote a novel. I'm trying to work on that. I'm going to try to get that published. I really want to write something for television or something. I, I really have writing in me is a big part of my life, you know? Yeah, so great. We'll yeah, that's, that's great. Ahead. That's ahead, Andy Richter. The final, you know, this is the three questions. And the final one is, what have you learned? I mean, do you have kind of a guiding principle or, you know, something that, yeah. you know, your, I your mean, travels? You know, I have to say, like, I don't learn anything. I learn a million little things that are interesting to me, but I never learn lessons. I learn, I don't learn anything from failure except that it sucks and that you have to not be afraid to fail. And hopefully, you know, you keep failing or something. I mean that. That's a crazy thing. But I don't learn shit from fail. I don't learn a thing. Luckily, because if you did, then you would stop. You would go, okay, here's what I learned. Don't do that again. Yeah. But if you don't do it again, you'll never get anywhere. So right. I mean it. How's that for an answer? That's good. Nice. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for taking the time. And, Pleasure. Uh, thank and you. And it's been wonderful Andy talking Richard. to you again. And uh, great. And I hope thank I hope you. your shows go great. And I thank hope you, you sell a lot of clothes uh, to ex you know that are accessible and inclusive. Thank and, you. Uh, and I'll be back next week with more of The Three Questions. So, uh, bye. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco production. It is produced by Sean Doherty and engineered by Rich Garcia. Additional engineering support by Eduardo Perez and Joanna Samuel. Executive produced by Nick Liao, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, with assistance from Maddie Ogden. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to The Three Questions with Andy Richter wherever you get your podcasts. And do you have a favorite question you always like to ask people? Let us know in the review section. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? Can't you feel it ain't showing? Oh, you must be a-knowing. I've got a big, big love. This has been a Team Coco production. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. 
Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. <laughs>